Knowledge makes you effective in things of the spirit. Knowledge makes you effective in things. The things of the spirit are not difficult. They are so simple. You might be the simplicity might make you feel it's fake. It's been acted. This is stage managed. How can someone just be saying ba 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 ba, and you are saying you are being strengthened on your inside? And sometimes they don't come out spectacular. And so we think, have you had a word of knowledge before? And because it just came like a suggestive thought, and you just said it in passing. And the person was like, like, wow. And you are thinking, okay, I actually thought it was my thought. How many of you have had that kind of experience? Thank you. Thank you. It came so easily, you almost missed it. Let me tell you another one. Have you said something jokingly? And it was a word for someone. Or you said something jokingly and it came to pass the way you said it. The things of the spirits come so natural to us that if we don't pay attention, you think it's fake. You were joking. Do you understand? You were joking when you did it or when you said it. But it happened the way you said it. That tells you something. That they are very simple and they come natural to us. So don't think that if it's not complicated or if it's not spectacular, then God's hand is not on it in a big way. Look at the gospel, for example. Sit down. Look at the gospel, for example. Because I just preached the gospel to someone and the person just believed. The Bible said the person has been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. The person is now a son of God. Praise God. So, what I want you to do is be careful that you don't miss what the Holy Ghost is doing. Because it doesn't seem spectacular to you. Because it doesn't seem difficult. It just seems easy, just flowing like that. Pay attention to the move of the Spirit. Do you see that? Pay attention to the move of the Spirit. Let me give you an example. <laughs> Say, oh, <laughs> in, a, in a regular service, service is just going on. And then the pastor says something like, someone just got healed. Or let me say he says someone got healed and he described the situation. And it's something that you are going through 
but you didn't receive a healing. And then he says everybody should begin to rejoice. You might think that because, uh, I mean, I didn't receive a healing. All this, all this rejoicing you are doing is just emotions, it's just excitement. In that you're rejoicing, you can receive the healing. So if it doesn't, that doesn't, listen, it doesn't have to be spectacular to be supernatural. The supernatural is natural to us. It comes naturally to us. I was listening to Pastor this afternoon and he said something. He said, he said, eagles don't, eagles don't go to flying school, do they? But they are called the king of the sky. And they did not have to go to flying school. In fact, how the mother eagle would train the baby eagle to fly is that she just put the eaglet on her back, take it to a particular height, and leave them, and just move away from under the eaglet. And the thing would have to, on its own, figure out, bring out the flying in him out. You didn't get it. Everything that you need as a believer, you already have. Everything. I told you that the Holy Ghost is the resultant effect of the finished work of Christ. And by the Holy Ghost, remember we said, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, by the same Spirit, by the same Spirit, by the same Spirit, by the same Spirit. I struggled with this many years ago. I thought I had to fix myself and come to Jesus as a fixed person. I thought Jesus was a maintenance officer. He knew how to maintain good stuff. Many of us and many people still think that way that, you know, oh, you can't come to Jesus, you know, a wretched sinner. You have to fix yourself and then come to him. Oh, I can't just begin to walk in the miraculous. I can't just, I mean, trust in the Holy Ghost inside of me and begin to walk in the supernatural. Hmm. I mean, how can I just have answers to prayer without fasting, without doing all of this stuff? That God has to see that, look, I'm really serious. Then she will give me what I want. Oh, thank you, Lord. Jesus said something. He said, if your child should ask for fish, would you give him serpents? If you ask for bread, would you give him stone? He said, if you, being evil, can give good things to your children, he said, how much more would, the whole, would God give the Holy Ghost? To those that believe. Why? Because when you have the Holy Ghost, you have everything. God doesn't have... <laughs> God doesn't have more to give you than what He has given you. 
Oh, say I have the Holy Ghost. You don't have something to shout about. Say it again, I have the Holy Ghost. I have the Holy Ghost. The Bible said the kingdom of God is in the Holy Ghost. So when you're thinking of power, when you're thinking of dominion, when you're thinking of authority, it's in me. The Christian life is a journey to knowing who you already are. That's what it is. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Say thank you, Lord. All right. Welcome to discipleship class for the month of December. And I believe strongly that this particular, from this particular class, You become effective in the things of God. Say loud, amen. amen. I speak by the Spirit of God that the fears are going away. Those things you have waited for for years, listen, you would begin to see the fruit speedily in the name of Jesus. You would have boldness, untold boldness in the name of Jesus. That the communication of your faith, what you have in Christ, becomes effectual by the knowledge you receive in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Alright, say loud, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Yeah. Now, um, the topic of this particular series is strengthening your conviction. Say strengthening your conviction. And um, this is part one, like you already know. The and I, like I said, hmm, it's going to be more than a commentary on the book of Hebrews. About six years ago, I sat in front of a pastor that was actually a member of a world church, you know, a church that teaches the word and have sound doctrine. And at the time I was sitting in front of him, it was in Kaduna here, he was the state pastor for a church that I know that teaches false, some false doctrines. He told me by himself, he said, I used to be in that church, a popular church that I knew. And although I didn't know as much as I know now, I was surprised. Because even as ignorant as I was then, I knew that the church he currently pastors has wrong doctrines. How did a man move from a world church to become not a member of a church that teaches false doctrine, not just a pastor, a state pastor. 
a state pastor. What happened to the things he was taught? We know that it's not the fault of his pastor because his pastor still has members that were there before he came and are still there. How many of you understand what I said? The fault is not with his pastor. The fault is not with the pastor of the world church. Something happened to this man that he did not manage well, that moved him from a world church. I mean, how can you begin to believe, practice, and even preach the opposite of what you used to believe years ago? Now, you know about world churches, that they would explain to you the reason why you do everything. Even the rejoicing in the Holy Ghost is explained. I mean, if Holy Ghost meetings can be explained, what else can be explained? Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1, he said, concerning the things of the Spirit, I do not want you to be ignorant. And he began to teach them about how to conduct themselves in a Holy Ghost meeting. Praise God. So how is it that a man that was taught, trained, had materials he could go back if he had questions, moved from a world church to begin to propagate what he used to fight against. And the question is, how sure are you that in the years to come, you won't be like this man? That's something serious. Because there are many churches today that are far away from where they started. They started with the truth of the word and the things of the spirit. Now they are far away. They, ex they have experienced numerical growth. They have experienced financial growth. They have experienced national and probably global recognition. They have influence, but they have moved far away from the world. It should cost you to think. Do you understand? It should cost you to think. Praise God. So, now, um, I believe that this series will culminate in um, the retreat at the end of the year. Because in the retreat, I would address a fundamental part of maintaining your conviction. What happened to this man was that he shifted ground. He moved in his conviction. He stopped believing what he used to believe. You see that now? He stopped. His persuasion changed. And many times our persuasions change gradually. You remember the story I told you about how a plane flies from point A to point B. You remember? It will just move gradually. We need to bring it back. It moves away, of course, gradually. You bring it back. That happened to him. And many times, 
from pastoring, I've realized that many times people don't even know when they're backsliding. It's the funniest thing ever. It's the funniest thing ever. People legit don't know when they're backsliding. There are times when I've had to tell someone, no, this is not what you used to do. And the person begins to give me excuses. I know that the person is not ready. Do you understand? All right. Now, many of us have had experiences where we dwindle in our conviction. You know, something happened to you and then you are trying to, ah, oh. But Paul, for example, in the Bible, didn't seem to have that kind of thing happening in his life. Paul seemed like he was always at an all-time high in his conviction. In fact, if you, it's difficult to relate with Paul sometimes. Because you, while you're having ups and downs in your spiritual life, the guy seems to just be having upward and forward life, always passionate about the gospel. In fact, after 30 years in ministry, Paul was still saying that I may know you. When he was now almost about to die, he said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Meaning, my life is to make Christ popular. So from when Paul got converted in Acts chapter 9, to when he knew that death was near, he was chasing one thing, and that's Christ. Do you think he didn't have business or he didn't fail in business? Paul had times when people forsook him. He had times when he was hungry. Do you understand? Do you know what it means for people to betray you? So they left him. There are times when ministry partners left Paul. And he was alone. Do you understand? There was a time Barnabas left him. They started together. Do you understand? They were commissioned on the same day, in the same meeting, Acts 13. And then they were sent forth together. The only brother he had in ministry was Barnabas. They were to go out together. And Barnabas left him. Praise God. So let me give you this as heads up, and I've said it a number of times. Sometimes we do not know, we do not realize that negative circumstances will happen to us. And so we are not prepared when they happen. Praise God. We know that negative circumstances happen to people. But we don't prepare ourselves for when, I didn't say if, for when they happen to us. So they always meet us unprepared. So you're in ministry, a young person, you're in ministry, and then you're seeing your friend, someone you finish NYC together. Buying car. 
and you don't even have money to transport yourself. You begin to wonder, am I sure I'm even in the right place? Do you understand? <laughs> you see your own classmates sponsoring themselves abroad, just you know, flying for vacation. And you, the only thing you can do is take a walk as vacation, just stroll to calm your mind down. You think those things will affect you? <laughs> Wait until three of your classmates go on vacation together to Dubai. Then you know that, ah, I have to get serious. Thank you, or your click in school. <laughs> to be serious with his books. <laughs> you think those things won't affect you? We haven't learned to guard our hearts. The process of losing your conviction is still the same process with temptation. The battle of losing your conviction happens in your mind. Once you lose that battle, forget about your actions. They would align to the battle that has been lost. You see that? That guy did not leave the church one day. He left many years ago in his mind. He began to see reasons why this other church was a better place to be, even though he was in this place. You see that? So the moment you begin to see why a motivational church is more suited for the situation you are facing now than brace up, you have started moving. So once once you just stroll and attend their meetings, and then of course you'll still be around for brace up meetings. In fact, by the time you were already attending their meetings much more, you have lost the battle in your mind. Praise God. The only way you can be sure that your conviction would not change if you, if you continuously win the battle in your mind. Now, We'll look at a couple of things today that would help you guard your heart. And I want to put it in a way like, um, say when you have goats and you build a fence around the field to guard them from going beyond that point. So the things we'll teach today are going to be like fence around your heart 
to make sure that your heart doesn't wander beyond this point. Now, if you don't maintain those structures, if you don't maintain those structures, you can never be sure. In fact, there are the Bible structures for maintaining your conviction. Praise God. So that's important. Now, we said that there's going to be a commentary on the book of Hebrews on this particular series, but it's beyond a commentary on the book of Hebrews. It's actually a message. Okay? A message that will show you your responsibilities in making sure that you keep your convictions from dwindling. It's just not it's not just a commentary on the book of Hebrews. It's a message to show you your responsibilities. There's something to do from dwindling. Now, please don't miss the uh, retreats because in the retreats, I would handle some specific things. You know, like I jokingly say, the strongest demon is what? Preconceived notion. I'll, I'll show you elder statement demons that are responsible for dwindling your conviction. There are certain things, Jonathan, in life, that if those things don't dwindle your conviction, you probably are in a safe place. All right? Now, why are we studying the book of Hebrews? It's because of the historical um, background of the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, by the way, um, theologically, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Genesis, we don't know. So we can say the writer of Hebrews. But it contains truth about the Christ, and that's okay for us. You say what? Jesus? Okay. So, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. I just want the writer. Good. It was written before 70 AD. I was believed that Paul died around that time also. I think so. Before that time. Before that time. Before 70 AD. It was written before 70 AD. AD. And the reason why it was written before, we believe it was written before 70 AD is because it doesn't describe a very strong historical event that happened in 70 AD. 70 AD was the um, event that Jesus was describing in Matthew 24. In Matthew 24, he said that um, if you're on the housetop, don't come down, just keep going. If you're in the field, don't come back home, just keep running. Do you understand? And then he talks about um, the um, he was talking about the dissolution of Jerusalem. It was it was an event that interesting. <laughs> Interestingly, I think after that time, the practices of the Old Testament reduced, if not stopped, in Jerusalem. You know those sacrificing and all of that um, in the church ish. But forget about that. Now, I, I once heard, so the Roman um, government was persecuting the Jews. Of course, in collaboration with the church. Of course, that started as early as Acts chapter 4, you remember? 
When Peter healed the lame man at the beautiful gate and he had to answer questions and they said, don't preach in this name again, he continued, the follow they brought him and then they flogged him. And then they said, they're praying in Acts chapter 4. They said, God, behold their threatenings and grant unto your servant with all boldness. The persecution increased so much. In Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 6, the disciples had to run away from Jerusalem. The persecution kept increasing. I think the climax was AD 70. It was said that they locked the gate of Jerusalem for 40 days. There was no supply of food, no supply of anything. They said by the time they opened it, you couldn't walk on the floor. They were dead. You would have to walk, you had to walk on dead bodies. It was disastrous. It was terrible. Jesus said nothing like that has ever happened and will ever happen. So, it was. so the, what I'm saying is the persecution was real. And it was all because people believed in Christ. So people found reasons to stop believing in Christ. Because I mean, why should I die because I'm believing in Christ when I can just believe in something else? So the Jews were actually deciding, look, I'm not going to believe in Christ again. I'm just going to be, return to believing in Judaism. And then the writer of Hebrews writes the book of Hebrews. Basically, they were dwelling in their conviction about Christ. Okay. So that's quite what we're looking at. Praise God. Alright, so that's why we're using... When you look at Hebrews chapter 10, let's look at Hebrews chapter 10 verse 32. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 32. Let me put, let me, um, put context to what I said about... Let me say this. How many of you <laughs> have wondered how people say things about the things of the, about the books of the Bible? Like... Um, say the writer, the book of Hebrews was written at so so time. This was the event that was happening around that time. It always looks like, oh wow, nice. How do you guys get to know all these things? Let me tell you how they know it. Because I used to wonder how, like, they just come and say this and this and this and this and this. Like, for example, I said, it's believed that Paul died before 70 AD. Here's the speculation Luke wrote the book of Acts, and Luke was a follower of Paul. Do you understand? And everything. And he seemed to just drift in the book of Acts from talking about the early 12 into Paul's ministry and just continued in Paul's ministry. But he did not record when Paul died. That's why they, they set the date of the book of, when they wrote the book of Acts as around, at around 68 AD. Because they believe that if Paul died before he wrote the book, he will have documented it. Do you understand? So it's quite a speculation. Do you understand? Good. That's how, that's how they come about the dates, actually. It's, a, it's usually a speculation. So this one also, we say before 70 AD, because the writer didn't talk about the destruction of, the, of Jerusalem. Do you understand? We also believe that the book of Acts was written before 70 AD because he didn't talk about it. I mean, if it happened after he wrote the book, he would have documented it. We believe he would have documented it. You understand? So that's how we come about it. Now, so how do we know the events that happened from the book itself? Internal evidence. I told you guys about internal evidence. Internal evidence is evidence within the book. For example, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Why? Because the writer didn't tell us he wrote it. But when Paul says, I, Paul, wrote this in my hand, we know, okay, Paul wrote this book. Is it clear? So, there's internal evidence, then there's external evidence. External evidence is from other sources, maybe um, early Bible scholars, do you understand? Like 
early Bible scholars that lived maybe the next generation after the book was written. They probably would know who wrote it, that kind of stuff. Do you get? Then many other things. But Hebrews chapter 10, verse 20, 32. Hebrews 10, 32. We'll read from verse 32 into verse 35. Are you there? Alright. It says, But call to remembrance the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured great fights of affliction. Let me read it from the NIV. I like I like how the NIV, you have NIV? Alright, please read from NIV. Remember those early days after you had received the light, when you endure in a great conflict full of suffering. 33. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insults and persecutions. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. 34. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the Confiscation. Confiscation of your property because you knew that you you yourself had better and lasting possession. Praise God. Praise God. This is beautiful. That's right. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly so he said, remember in those early, early days, after you received the light, that's after you received the gospel, he said, when you endured great conflict, full of suffering, these guys went through hell. He said, they endured it. He said, after you received the light, so we knew that their, their, their suffering was because of the gospel they received. Do you understand? He said that, Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insults and persecution. Other times you stood side by side with those that were so treated. He said you suffered along with those in prison. And oh, glory to God. He said you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your properties. Wow. You joyfully accepted. This, this is far from the church we live in today. Where are properties, Jameson, our medals, our storing our properties, Jameson, our medals. These people would give for the furtherance of the gospel. And if their properties were confiscated for the, for, because of their believing in Jesus, they said they joyfully accepted it. He said, because they knew that they themselves had better and lasting possessions. He says, so therefore, cast not away that confidence. There was this confidence they had. They had great and lasting possession. He said, do not cast away that confidence. They were persecuted, but they knew that there was something better ahead of them. That trust in Christ, he said, don't cast it away. That's a drift from chapter 10 to chapter 11 when he begins to talk about your faith, your trust, your confidence in Christ. So Hebrews chapter 12 is a teaching on faith in Christ. 
Praise God. We'll go back to it. So, these people were persecuted and then he was telling them, look, don't throw away that confidence. Now, we know that they were still being persecuted. When you read chapter 13, look at chapter 13. Verse 3. Chapter 13, verse 3. Are you there? Are you there? Alright, read together. One, two, go. Do you see that? He said, continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison. These people had a different disposition towards Christianity. Do you understand? They had a different disposition. Persecution did not make them feel that, oh, I didn't have faith enough, or I was not in the will of God. Oh, no, 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 I'm not becoming a Christian again. Praise God. All right. So, like I said, many times people don't even know when they begin to backslide. Because once your convictions begin to change, you're backsliding already. Do you understand? So many times, so let's look at signs of weakened conviction. When your convictions are becoming weak, what are the signs we can see? There's one primary sign, you know, one primary sign, and it's broad, but it is reduced passion or commitment. What I say, everyone, what I say, reduced passion or commitment. When your passion drops, when your passion for the things of God drops, your conviction is becoming weak. When you get to prayer meeting and you inspect instead of praying, something is wrong with you. Look at what he said. He said, remember those earlier days when you endured great conflicts of affliction now we can't see that happening to you again. Your commitment, your passion is dropping. When you now begin to ask, you know there are questions that are not for inquiry, there are complaints. Why must we shout in prayer? Is God deaf? Jonathan. Sometimes people want to know. Sometimes they are just complaining. Do you understand? Your passion drops. You don't, you, you don't rejoice again. You don't have to rejoice again. You just wave. You think you're a celebrity. They're like, rejoice. They're like... <laughs> Reduced commitment. What did I say? Let me say, for example, before I used to give 5K a month for the work of the gospel. You now stand at 5K, you now reduce it. Say 500 is okay. 
And you know the thing? We are human beings. When we put our head that this is what we want to do, we find every reason to make sure that it stands. Praise God. So when your commitment drops, when your passion drops, you are moving away. Do you see that now? When your commitment drops, your conviction is changing. For example, if you're in a world church like this and then your commitment drops for any reason, it's an issue. Something as simple as you used to come early, now you come 30 minutes late, is a big sign. A very, very. See, by the time anybody can notice it, you've gone far. Because when your conviction started changing, it was in your mind. You still came early, but in your mind you wanted to come late. By the time you are now actualizing those thoughts, you are face, falling face flat for the temptation. In fact, you are working on another one of how to start coming at the end. Do you see that now? What should make you come late for meeting? Is it that the initial part is not important? If you are going to see a movie, would you come late? That you're 2K. You want to watch it. Well, some, some people will sit after the movie. They'll say, yes, uh, they want to see the cast and, and the one that's at the end. You must finish your money. First, um, Colossians chapter 4. Listen, no reason is tenable enough for your passion to drop. No reason will pass. No reason would pass for your convictions to drop. Look at Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4 verse 17. Paul says, And say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received of the Lord, received in the Lord, that thou mayest fulfill it. Colossians chapter 4 verse 17. Please read if you want to go. Tell Akipos, see that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. Tell Akipos. See that you complete the ministry you've received in the Lord. So, we realize that Akipos started shifting his meetings to see movie. If there is um, market day, Akipos will say there will not be meeting that day. Do you understand? If there is festival, Some people look for reasons not to attend meeting, and I'm like, wow. If you were the pastor, would this reason make sense? Would you 
avoid meeting for this reason. You see, there's naming. I won't come for meeting today. Ah. Naming. I don't understand. Are you the one naming the child? Or is your child? Do you understand? Or there's birthday. I don't understand. I don't know. I don't know. Praise God. So, when what didn't used to make sense to you before starts making sense, the conviction is changing. Well, I told you it's a broad point. Jonathan, when what didn't used to make sense to you before starts making sense, your conviction is changing. So, uh, peace. <laughs> okay. So, you might need to evaluate yourself. <laughs> let, let me say this. <laughs> I said, reduce commitment. Now, some might say, ah, me, from the beginning, I've been attending Brace meetings late. I never come early. So, I'm not backsliding. No. <laughs> you understand? There is a standard. And you should compare yourself with that standard, not with the next person. You see that? You compare yourself with what the world is teaching. Like I said, why should you come for a meeting? It still doesn't make sense to me. Here's why. Because when I'm going for a meeting, I expect to be improved at the end of that meeting. Do you understand? I expect that by the time I'm coming out from the meeting, I'm improved. So, if they are preparing us, you know, every meetings are usually from the beginning is a build up. The prayer session, the praise session, the word, everything is a build up for the complete. It's like three course meal. They are preparing you for it. Do you get it? So I want to participate in the prayer. I want to participate in the praises. Before then, I want to spend some time just praying and setting my heart. Because you would receive to the degree that you're expectant. You see that? You receive to the degree you're expectant. Some of us only set our hearts like that when it's a special meeting. It's the same pastor. The same God, the same Bible. It's just your expectation that's different. They might also prepare differently. Do you understand? But listen, your expectation would make you in that meeting that is common, normal, every other person is just there. Your expectation would make you receive what they might not receive. I'll give you an example. In Mark chapter 6, the Bible talks about the woman with the issue of blood. There was a crowd around Jesus. The Bible says she went with expectation. That she kept saying, if I touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. So while people were around him, she went with a determination. That's Mark chapter 5. In Mark chapter 6, he was in his hometown. They were not expectant. 
and nothing. He could not do many miracles. Another time in the book of Acts, the Bible said Paul was teaching. He perceived that the man had faith to be healed. It wasn't a healing meeting. He was teaching. So you receive to the degree of your expectation. I told you the story of Kenneth Hagin that he was invited to preach in a meeting. And he was just to teach. He was to teach on faith. But as the guys, a group of, I think the pastors, they were going in. They were arguing about a particular Bible topic. And then they just said, we just pray that Brother Hagin would talk along this line. And he had his notes and he was already preaching and preaching and preaching. And he realized that the Spirit of God kept moving him. He would come back, move him, he would come. The third time he said, you know what, he just told himself, I'm just going to dwell here. I think this is what the Spirit of God wants me to do. And he dwelled there and taught in that line. After the meeting, he went to the pastor and said, oh, I'm very sorry. I actually have my notes on faith. But I just realized that the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, there are people in the Bible that had dwindled convictions. And I want us to pay close attention in the story, uh, to their stories. The first is John the Baptist. The number of them, I just want us to examine too. John the Baptist. In M- Matthew chapter 11. Matthew 11, 11. Powerful scripture. We'll read it together. Very, very, very powerful. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. Are you there? Matthew 11, 11. Some of you are looking for Matthew. Are you there? Alright, read together. One, two, go. You're not there yet? Alright, wait. Are you there now? Read as loud as you can. One, two, go. Did you see that? Who was speaking there? Was he hyping the guy? Was he saying the truth? So look at it. He said, Verily, that's assurance. This is assurance. Do you understand? <laughs> Verily, I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there is none that had risen as great as John the Baptist. He says, among them that are born. Now, was he talking about great in terms of business? He was talking about great in terms of the revelation of Christ. Conviction about Christ. He said there was none as great as John the Baptist. Because while Isaiah was still saying, not Isaiah, while Prophet Isaiah was still saying, a sheep before the sharer, he was wounded for transgressions. John said, This is the Lamb of God. Jesus said, There is none, there was none that is risen as great as John. 
So John had information about Christ. Do you see that? Very such information that Christ ranked him higher than every other person before him. Now, this same John dwindled in his conviction. How can a man... Listen, if you read the verses after, he became a reference point. Look at it. Jesus said, he continues to say in verse 12, from the days of John the Baptist until now, you see that? He was a reference point. In verse 13, he says, for all the prophets... And the law prophesied until John. So, he was someone that had recognition. He was someone that Jesus said had commendation. Because of his revelation of Christ. This same person asked. Go and ask Jesus if he's the Christ. Or we should wait for another one. How can a man... How can, how can a man with the greatest conviction, the greatest revelation of Christ ever, doing do like that? Do you see that now? So in, verse, in, in Matthew 11, verse 2 and 3, it says, Now when John heard in prison the works of Christ, he sent to his disciples and said, Are thou he that's to come? Or do we look for another? Are thou he that is to come? Or do we look for another? Hmm. Now, the second person I would want us to look at is Peter. You might say, okay, John, John, John was the disciple of Jesus. But look at Peter in Matthew 16. Let's flip a few pages forward. Matthew 16, verse 13. I remember we read, I almost said this story. Remember, we read this scripture. There was a story also in breakfast meeting. Verse 13. Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi and asked his disciples, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now in verse 13, in verse 16, that's 16, 16. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ. Now, don't lose this story. Pay attention. He says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Matthew 16, 16. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Look at what Jesus said. Verse 17. Read together. One to go. Alright, everyone read verse 18 as loud as you can. Do you see that? Peter said you are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the Savior. Jesus said upon that revelation I'll build my church. That means no one can be a believer 
without believing that particular information. Peter had the most important information. You see it? And Peter even demonstrated that he had such strong conviction. He said, look, he told Christ, I will die with you. He said that in um, John chapter... John, is, it, is it 14? Let me check. John, John 13. John 13. Verse 36. John 13, 36. Simon said unto him, Lord, where, um, where are thou goest? And Jesus answered him, Where I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me after. And Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? He said, I will lay down my life for thy sake. Do you understand? So Peter had this information. And then he said, look. He said, I'll lay down my life for thy sake. Look at what he said. <laughs> look at what Jesus said in verse 38. Are you in 38? Read verse 38 together. I want to go. Well, that's glow with pride. Praise God. <laughs> Praise God. So Peter had such an important information. Such an important information. And Jesus acknowledged it. Peter even demonstrated that he had conviction and said, Look, I will die with you. And Jesus said, look, before the cock crows, you would have denied me three times. How can a man... You know, you know what Peter denied? Was, you know what his denial was? I don't know Christ. I said, I don't, he, he legit said, look, I don't, even, I don't even know what you're talking about. You know the funny thing about how Peter denied Christ? Every successive denier was with more tenacity. He did better with more denials. He never had a better day. The first denial, he said, I don't know, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. The second one, he said, I swear, I don't know him. He didn't just say he didn't know him more. He said, I swear to God, I know no Jesus after the flesh. The third one, he said, God punish you. I swear I don't know him. I'll show you. The Bible says he cursed and swore. The third one, he cursed and then swore. He said, I don't know the Christ. Listen, how can a man move from such conviction to that place where he was cursing and swearing on top? Matthew 26. From verse 69. Matthew 26, 69. Thank you, Lord. Whew. I said this series will change your life. Say it loud, amen. amen. Matthew 26, 
69 now peter sat without a palace and the damsel came unto him saying thou also was with jesus of um, galilee but peter denied before them all saying i don't know what you're saying i don't know what you're saying verse 71 and when he came out into the pouch another maid saw him and said unto him uh, said unto them that they that were there this fellow was also with jesus of nazareth and again peter denied with an oath he was swearing i do not know this i do not know the man 37 and after a while came unto him and after a while came unto him they that sat by and said to peter surely thou art one of them for thy speech bereaved thee then began him to curse and to swear saying i know not the man immediately the cock crow how can a man move from that level of conviction but hope you know listen oh, hope you listen you might think okay peter was in trouble he wanted to escape trouble didn't you read Acts chapter 4? He said, Who are we to be, God or man? So it wasn't about the situation he was in, it was that his conviction was weak. Praise God. So, share some of the causes of weakened conviction. Number one is persecution. Persecution or negative circumstances. Human beings are funny. You know that either negative circumstances or positive circumstances can weaken people's convictions. I'll come to positive circumstances later. But now, let's look at negative circumstances. Persecution or negative circumstances. Now, we read in the book of Hebrews in chapter 10 that um, in their early days when they received the light, you see, their goods were confiscated and all of those things. And this was weakening their conviction. That's the same thing that happened to Peter. That's the same thing that happened to John the Baptist. Negative circumstance, persecution. Now, we always read these things and think it's theory. But these things might happen to you. In 2018, you might be persecuted for the things you believe. So I'm giving you that as heads up. 2019. Negative circumstances might happen to you. Do you understand? Some people, it's the exam that they failed though. And they said no to Jesus. They stopped coming for meetings. Do you understand? They stopped coming for meetings. I told you, when you begin to do those things, your convictions have changed. You must have seen it in school. People that maybe they just carried over. They just changed everything. They stopped coming for fellowship. They changed their friends. You thought 
They just wanted to focus more on their books. But it persisted and kept growing. In this world, there's nothing like stagnation. Is it that you are moving forward or you are moving backward? If you are not moving forward in the things of God, it's called backsliding. Don't say, Pastor, I have not grown in the past three months. You are not static. You were backsliding. So when someone says, I've not prayed in three days, and you're meant to reach out to the person, but you now waited four days later, the work you have to do is worse than the one you would have done when you met the person, when the person reached out initially. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's nothing like stagnation. Now, especially in spiritual things, because we live in a world that can distract. For example, something negative happens to somebody. The person stops coming for meeting. You guys are like, the person, the person is mourning, the person is trying to... Two weeks, three weeks. By the time you finally want to go and reach out to the person, this is why the Bible talks about mourning with those that are mourning and rejoicing with those that are rejoicing. You don't leave them alone. Because when the, when the world gets at them, because the Bible has its way how you should handle those that are mourning. We enc- the Bible says encourage one another with these things. I'm doing, uh, I told you about it, I'm doing an online um, tongues interpretation and prophecy class. I started on that one. I'm starting on Monday, actually. But I just got the people. A lot of response, and I'm happy about it. One of my friends asked me, why are you passionate about this thing? And I just read, I sent to her one of the comments that I got, one of the feedbacks I got. The person gave me like three paragraphs of feedback. As in the feedback was longer than the prophecy. How everything. Now, if you saw her, you would have thought everything was fine. Do you see that? If you met with her, but just through tongues and interpretation and prophecy, what what I gave her, the prophecy was for strengthening. So I strengthened her. She said, this is what I needed. She was going through a challenging time. The person that was meant to, you know, help her like a brother in the faith, or those that were not available, everything, she had a target for this year. Nothing seemed to be working. And she, I don't think she was telling anybody about it. But with those words, she said, I'm strengthened. Do you see that? I'm strengthened. So... When people go through challenges and you just leave them to themselves and the world gets at them, it's usually very difficult. Always be ready. Prepare yourself to be able to reach out to believers that need help. It doesn't matter what they have done. 
doesn't matter what has happened to them. Do you understand? It doesn't matter what they have done. It doesn't matter what has happened to them. Put it at it. Because listen, the first point we are looking at in how people's convictions get dwindled is persecution or negative circumstances. Make it top priority. Oh, glory to God. I remember the story of Chris Valentin. Um, I think he's the assistant pastor of Bethel Church. He was going through a challenging time. I can't remember exactly what happened to him. I think at that, I don't. I think his son. Um, I can't remember something very terrible. And he was a leader. It wasn't direct. I don't think it was directly at him. I think his son had a scandal or something. But then he's the, like the assistant pastor, and that's his son and stuff. He said, was it Bob Jones or someone called him every day? a long period maybe maybe um, six months or more to check up on him is it Bob Jones that did it? I think it was Bob Jones that level of commitment to making sure that someone is fine now Chris Valentin's over this it many years have passed if that guy didn't do it you don't know where he will be today. Make it your top responsibility. Never procrastinate. Praise God. Don't say we like. I, I've told. I think I've said it here before. Let me say it again. When the devil was going to come at Peter, Jesus prayed and told Peter the result of his praying. Because that night, Peter did not pray. He was sleeping. Some of us will come and say, I have a prophetic word for you. The devil wants to sift you as it, so go and pray about it. What's prophecy for? Strengthening. Have you strengthened the person? No. You pray about it. Johnson, you pray about it. Then when you come to tell the person, you will talk like Jesus. Yes, and that's how we know you are Christ-like. It's not about prophetic word. You know that's what they do today. They give prophetic word. You, devil wants to do this to your family. Go and fast for seven days. Was that, is that strengthening? He said, I have prayed for you that your faith fails not. That's why even though Peter fell for the temptation... He came back. Because the prayer of Jesus was not that he would not fall for temptation. But that his faith, his confidence. Remember the book of Hebrews. He says, cast not away your confidence. So the prayer of Jesus was that that confidence of Peter would not fail. So although Peter fell, he had the confidence intact. He had his faith in Christ. So he could go back. Judas didn't have that. So he ran away. When you see a brother going through a challenge, you pray for the person. It's not about praying for you, not that type. You pray for the person. And the prayer you are praying for the person will help you. Because there's, power, there's strength in number. 
Praise God. That's important. Now, so persecution and negative circumstances can dwindle our convictions. The next one is laziness and also distraction. Laziness or distraction. In, in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. The writer of Hebrews says, We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer want to understand. Same thing with the um, Church of Galatia. They were unwilling to engage their minds. Have you tried to explain something to someone before? And you've tried. You, you, you explain and explain and explain and you just realize this person doesn't want to get you. That happens sometimes. Sometimes when people go through challenging situations and they are trying to say, look. Let me say someone is bereaved. They are trying to say, look. This person is with the father. We will see this person again. And you will do all your rapping. The person doesn't want to hear. Or maybe someone has been praying for a particular thing, praying and praying and praying and praying and praying. All the person's mates are advancing. The person is just there. The bought car is there. The got house is there. The got marriage is still there. They are trying to say, look, God is always good. They say, just leave me and my Golda. Golda never disappoints. <laughs> Praise God. So, sometimes laziness. Let me tell you an example of laziness. Maybe you just, you just woke up in the morning. You know you should pray. We are like, they sit in fires ahead of me. I will surely pray. Uh, that happens to us. And you end up not praying. I will listen to him. It's not a message. Me and Pastor D. I, his message is, <laughs> I hear, you know, and then you do not. I will read my Bible. It's not the Bible. Paul, 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 my guy. One, one lady even added Paul to her name. Paul, <laughs> Paul, call me Paul, you know. And then you brag about, you even tell them the book of Galatia. I'll read it. Let me tell you, you even be giving people history of the book of Galatia. So I'll read it today. Three days, you have no laziness. Sometimes it's distraction. Do you understand? Even in Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12, it says something along those lines. Hebrews chapter 6, let me just read it, verse 12. He says, We do not want you to become lazy, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. You see that? Don't become lazy. Don't become lazy. Don't become... He was talking to people that their convictions were changing. And he said, I don't want you to become lazy. But imitators of those who through faith and patience 
inherit the promise. So that's very important. Don't allow laziness get into your way. Just an laziness. You just you know it's time for meeting, but you're like, ah, I will go. It's not ah, pray stop. You even be saying division. Because we see all men becoming deliberate about the acute knowledge of God's word. Fervent in prayer. Passionate in evangelism. Oh, thank you, Lord. This city is taking. But you haven't stood up on your bed. Yes, sir. You even put you on your status. Brace up in a bit. But you haven't. You're still on your bed. Don't be lazy with prayer. Don't be lazy with church meetings. Do you understand? Now, another person is 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 another thing is distraction. I said distraction. Now sometimes distraction can be with positive situations. Do you understand? You might just get a job and then you are distracted. Do you understand? You're distracted. You're just not praying as you used to. When you listen, when you become busier, your commitment shouldn't drop. You increase capacity. You see that? You increase capacity. Why? It is very when when you're you know when you have more commitments and you don't increase capacity. You would shock yourself. Because with that, you have more opportunity to do things and cover your tracks. You have more money now. You see that? There was someone that Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, rather. 2 Timothy chapter 4. His name is Demas. Demas. <laughs> now, Demas was someone that Paul had commended at other places in the book. So Demas wasn't a bad person. But at this time, Demas was getting distracted. Jonathan, and he was getting distracted by something that, if we are not careful about, might also distract us. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10. He says, For Demas, he said, Do your best to come quickly from verse 9. He said, For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone into Thessalonica. Because he loved what? This present world. You see that? So he led the, the ministry, the work of the ministry, for this present world. Do you understand? So Bradema's got two job opportunities. One in the city where he was pastoring. And one down in Thessalonica, in California. Good pay. Close to the beach. Do you understand? He has apartment. He has driver. He has everything. Good money. Before he was squatting with Paul, he said, uh, "Sir, the I told you people. Then people come up with reasons why they must go. The gospel needs 
Kingdom Financiers. Do you understand? Everybody has his place in, his king, in the kingdom. I feel like God... <laughs> I feel like God is calling me to sponsor the work in many other places. I should not just be limited to this place. The word spreads everywhere. Paul said, the main thing is that Demas lost this present world. You understand? So it's not about the fact. Because he would have said, Ha-ha, but look at brother Barnabas or brother Timothy. He's in Thessalonica. He has a good job. His family is doing well. Do you understand? When he left here, he was just a single guy. He left with a, back, a backpack. Now he has two children. He has a wife. And they're doing fine. And the ministry is moving. It's not about the location is that Demas loves this present world. So as long as your heart, your heart is in a place of, you know, love for this present world, you are in a dangerous place. So don't let distraction affect you. Praise God. Alright, we should hurry up now. We're almost out of time. The third one, it's carnality. Carnality. Now, usually when we talk about carnality, we usually think sin. And yes, sin. But sometimes, things like comparison. Comparison. Ah, ah. Listen, listen. No. <laughs> Guard your heart against comparison. Guard your heart against comparison. Because if today I am happy, someone said that superiority complex is inferiority complex disguised. If I'm happy that I have a better job, a better car than peace, when I meet Amara with a better job and a better car than I, I have inferiority complex. So superiority complex is inferiority complex disguised. When I'm feeling like I'm better than you, when I meet someone that is better than me, then I feel bad about myself. So how I feel about myself has nothing to do with the world. It has to do with those I meet. Now, if you allow that, it will affect your conviction of God's word. Because a Christian's life is meant to be a life of rejoicing. Where I rejoice with those that are rejoicing. Do you understand? I rejoice with those that are rejoicing. Things don't have to be all fine with me. For me to actually celebrate what you're going, what, what the good things that God is doing in your life. Do you understand? Your excitement should never be circumstantial. It can affect your conviction. 
Jinzen, it can affect your conviction. It can affect your conviction. So that's like what happened to them as also. It's a law of this present world. So those are just some things that can cause your conviction to. And then here's the effect. Here's usually the effect. There are three things. Number one, you separate yourself. When someone's conviction begins to dwindle, one of the first things you notice is that the person just separates himself. You just realize that in church, after everyone, hey, after my guy, everybody just, you know, just fellowshipping, just being around. The person will just stay in one place, baby, mature. <laughs> after service, when everybody's greeting themselves, the person just behaving like, what's, what's, what's this peace? People begin to separate themselves. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Please open Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. I want to read from your Bible. So, that's usually one of the first effects of weakened conviction. So, why everybody is praising God or praying? The person just stay in one place and be watching. Like, what are you guys doing? Why? Because in his mind, he can't connect with what they're doing. Are you there? What does he say? Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day afternoon. Good. He said, don't give, don't, I think KJV says, not neglecting the gathering together. That's important. Okay? So one of the effects is that people separate themselves. That happened in the book of Hebrews. The second one is the ineffectiveness of the sacrifice of Jesus. You begin to see that the sacrifice of Jesus is not enough. It's not enough. So you want to start attending meetings where they say you should bring this. Bring yam. Bring stew. Jensen, bring fruits, bring goats. You just told me that <laughs> they told that her sister to bring goats to church. <laughs> I mean, pastor was missing as soon. Praise God. So you now realize, so here's what you're saying. You want to, maybe you want to pray. You now feel like, if I, I need to sow a seed. You now feel like the sacrifice of Christ is not enough. You see that? Many times when your convictions are being dwindled, you feel like the sacrifice of Christ is not enough. Now the third one is that you believe that the sacrifice of Christ is sufficient. But you feel like to you, my case, in my case, I need to do more. Jensen, they say your righteousness by grace through faith. You're like, I know, I know. But I need to perfect my works so that I can, my works and my righteousness gifts can tally. You will never get to that place. It's when you accept it that you can now demonstrate. Hallelujah. Praise God. 
the ineffective uh, effectiveness, ineffectiveness of this finished work of Christ in one's life. So it's one of the effects. Praise God. Now here's the solution. Here's the solution. There's one broad solution. One broad solution. I'll break it down later. But there's one broad solution to weaken conviction, and it's called the local church. What did I say? What did I say? Yeah. That's that's your place of security. That's your place of refuge. Anything that takes you out of the local church cannot be God. He says, not despising the God. Listen, it's in our day that people are absent from church and they don't feel bad about it. When Paul wanted to punish someone, the greatest he could do was he tell that guy not to come to the assembly of believers again. It was, it was, he, said, he said he did that to test their faith in him, their confidence in him, and also to make the brother ashamed and come to repentance. When we tell you we don't want to see in this church again, and you break down and start crying. That's it's it's the it's the solution. If you stay in the local church and you're committed, your conviction will not dwindle. Now, in our day, we have to specify, I've taught you on local church how to know a good local church. Do you understand? So it's not oh well, I just go to any any garden of two and three. No. And when I say local church, I don't mean activity. Do you see that? I don't mean activity. You just come, you sweep everywhere, you mop everywhere, you lead, you sing, you lead prayer, you preach the word. It doesn't mean. John has done that already. And God creates commendation from Christ himself. And his conviction still dwindled. So it's allowing the activities of the local church to affect you. You see that? Allowing it to influence your perspective. That's important. Now, so, I said the cure, the broad cure is the local church. But let me break it down. I'll break it down to three things. Number one is the word of God. The word of God. Revisit your beliefs and instructions. Revisit your beliefs and instructions. Revisit your beliefs and instructions. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. We read verse 2 to 4. Paul was talking to Timothy. He said, preach the word. You see that? Preach the word. 
He said, be prepared in season and out of seasons. Listen to what he said. Correct. Rebuke. And encourage. He said, with great patience and careful instruction. He says, for the time will come when people would not put up with sound doctrine. Second Timothy. Oh, that people are looking at me strange. Second Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy chapter 4. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 to verse 4. Are you there? Yeah. Alright, can we read together? One to go. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with patience and careful instruction. For time will come when people would not put up a sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desire, they would gather around a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Verse 4, they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to me. Do you see that? So because of this situation, he said, preach the word. Look at the role he gives the word. He said, correct, rebuke, instruct. Do you see that? Correct, rebuke, encourage. You know that it was a pathetic situation. It was a situation he was trying to manage. He says, correct. He said, rebuke. He said, encourage. He says, with great patience and careful instruction. Meaning that the people were in a state where you have to be careful about the situation. You correct them. You rebuke. You encourage them. You must allow the word to correct you. To encourage you. Do you understand? He said, For a time will come when people would not put up a sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, he said, they will gather around themselves a great number of teachers. So it's not about, I'm not saying when someone is listening to the word or, the, or, or, or a message, the person won't, his conviction won't change. These people, he said, they will gather around themselves a great number of teachers, but their convictions have dwindled. Do you understand? So you have to be careful about what you're listening to. It must be the truth of the scriptures. It's not your desire, what I want. See, I'm looking for a church that the pastor is relatable. I'm looking for a church that the pastor cracks jokes more than he teaches the word. Do you understand? Praise God. Preach the word. So, once you stay with the word, well taught, you are in good place. Okay? The second one is prayer. What did I say? Alright. And I'll say fervent prayer. Fervent prayer. Why? Because fervent prayer changes us. Right? Fervent prayer changes us. So fervent prayer. Fervent prayer and practicing edification. Let me talk a little about practicing edification. I think we have an idea of, of fervent prayer. I mean, you should. 
Utterance in the local church is for Praise of members. Utterance in the local church is for what? Good. Utterance in the local church is for edification. And I told you, edification means to be strengthened. Do you understand? You have strength in your inner man. Meaning when challenges come at you, you are strong enough. Do you understand? That they will not weigh you down. That's the only way to be joyful in the face of persecution. Strength in your inner man. In Acts chapter 4, when they persecuted and they prayed, the Bible said there was the Holy Ghost came, they get full of the Holy Ghost. He said they preached the word boldly. You see that? You need to receive. It's not this one is not willpower. It's not exerting yourself. It's strength from your inner man, the power of the Holy Ghost. Now listen. Look at the testimony I gave you. I gave the person a word. She said, I'm strengthened. She wasn't the only one that said it. A number of people said that also. I'm strengthened. How about if she declared that word to herself every day? The thing I told her that strengthened her. It's not powerful because it's coming from me. It's powerful because it's the word of the Lord. So you can declare God's word over yourself every day. The problem is, when it comes from someone, we tend to believe, someone we perceive is speaking by the Spirit, we tend to believe it more. Listen again. Also, when it comes in a supernatural way, because I didn't know about the situation, I just gave a word. It looks spectacular. So you're like, that must be God. God is speaking to me. It doesn't have to be spectacular to be supernatural. You can speak words God's word over yourself and be strengthened. It's not about who is saying it. It's about the place where your heart is. So when the person was reading the prophecy, I said the person was expectant and received it as the word of the Lord. You can say God's word over yourself and receive it as the word of the Lord. You see that? So that's what practicing edification is. It's like when you go for a service and then they speak the word. And you are rejoicing about what you have in Christ and what you can do. You can do the same thing to yourself. It doesn't have to come from me. You can, you can see it to yourself. Do you see that? That's what practicing edification is. He said, let the book of the law not depart from your mouth. Meaning he expects you to say what God has said about you. He said, then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. Paul said the same thing to Timothy. He said, meditate on these things. Do you understand? The same word that Peter, um, um, jo, um, Joshua used, meditate. In the Septuagint, that's the Greek version of the Old Testament. Melital was what Paul used when he said meditate. Melital. He said, meditate on these things. He said, give yourself wholly to it. Many times when we practice edification, we're just saying, oh, I'm righteous, I'm holy, the Spirit of God is upon me. You are not giving yourself to it. You are not thinking about it. Do you know what it means to have the Holy Ghost? It means I have all that God has. All that God gives, I have. 
He said he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above what you can ask or think by the power at work in you. There's power at work in you. That's why I like Pastor Chin, Pastor Chin, that song. <clears throat> I move mountains. I cause walls to fall. By your power, it's at work in me. Do you understand? God is not working for Julius Beggar. He's not moving mountains and this. The power, by your power at work in me. Many times, when we are saying we want to practice edification, see, I told you, it's in fervency that the power is made available. You rejoice in it. You are meditating on it. You are thinking about it. You are picturing it. And then you rejoice. Before you know what, now when you start rejoicing and you're seeing all those things, you might re your emotions might not be there. You might not even be feeling it. You look like you're faking it. But if you keep at it, after a while you realize you're drunk on the Holy Ghost. You know, that's what Paul was saying in Ephesians 5.18. He said, you know, don't be drunk and wine when in excess, but be full of the Spirit. He says, speaking. 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 Glory to God. Glory to God. So we're going to practice edification before we go. But before we go there, the third thing is interaction with believers. Interaction with believers. There are some people when they when they need advice, it's unbelievers they will meet. You have there's a reason why. We don't need to send the text of the message to your house. We gather so that we can fellowship. Do you understand? In the early church, they would even eat together. Why is one person nodding more than others when I say eat together? Praise God. But when you need advice, you now go and meet your Hare Krishna friends. <laughs> <laughs> Do you understand? Those whose opinions you take have a stronger influence in your life over the word of God. doesn't matter what you claim to believe from God's word. If you take their opinion, their influence over your life is stronger than the conviction you think you have from the word. Now, if the person's opinion is the opinion of the word, you're in safe hands. Now, if you're expecting a Muslim to give you God's counsel from the word, you are joking. If you're expecting someone that doesn't attend a word church to give you God's counsel, you are joking. He will tell you, look, go 12 midnight, just come out. Pray that your boss should die. Then you take over his business. Why? All things are yours. That's what the word said. All things are are yours. You possess anyway the soul of your feet goes. Mm. Do you understand? Uh -huh. Yes. See, the Egyptian, the Israelites, when they live in Egypt, now they are leaving your place of work. You. <laughs> you Do you understand? The seed of conviction is your heart, so be careful whose opinion you listen to. 
what thoughts you allow or disallow. Some people actually disallow the con the counsel of the world. The people whose opinion you accept have a stronger influence over you than the word of God. As long as you have begun to compromise on truth of the world, the word, you have begun shifting camp. Praise God. If you do these things, you're in a place of security. So we begin to take all those cures, one after the other, the word, prayer, and just look at them in more details in subsequent um, discipleship class. Have you been blessed? Rise up on your feet. Let's worship God and thank Him.